It is Locked On Jazz for the 30th of December from Sacramento, where the Jazz get ready for a Kings team who's got the same issues as the Utah Jazz. Fourth quarter, where did the ball movement go? Were those actually good shots? No, they were not. We'll talk about that. It's an Ask LOJ edition where people want to know what the ceiling of the franchise is. What does John Collins possibly mean? And what happens if the Jazz are caught in the middle? This is all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps. We are also available on YouTube today. And as always, you can join the community chat there. Please subscribe unfollow on whatever platform so that you know whenever we are. And if you're on YouTube, please hit the little bell button so you're notified whenever we get going. Happy New Year to everyone. As we will chat. Well, we will chat tonight with Postcast and on New Year's Eve with Postcast as well. Um, hope everyone's doing great. It's rainy and kind of miserable here in Sacramento. Um, Temple is, oh, my coffee's all the way over there. I left it there. Uh, Temple is like one of the best coffee shops in the country, and it was a real commitment to get there this morning. All right. Um, I think this is a super interesting conversation. And I think it's one that actually is difficult for most teams in the NBA. And that is, when is it a good shot? And when is it ball movement? And how do you coach it? So I'm listening to Mike Brown on Locked on Kings with Matt George after their Wizards loss. They got crushed at home by the Wizards. Jazz and the Kings tonight... By the way, here's kind of the storyline. The Kings are in their sixth and final game of a homestand where they're currently two and three with bad losses all the way across and a great win against Denver. And so they're kind of playing to salvage a homestand. And obviously we're playing to try to salvage a road trip. So it's kind of an interesting game. But both teams, if you... So I listened to Mike Brown. And Mike Brown talked about how against Washington, when they got blown out, that they, they didn't use... They didn't uh, use second side. He caused something he calls sprays. I'm assuming sprays are you penetrate and kick. But I'm going to, well, I can't ask Mike Brown today. I'll ask uh, Jordy Fernandez. And so he talked about paint touches. Well, they're not, they're, they're not posting Sabonis a great deal. They'll post Trey, actually, Lyles a little bit. But um, so they're, it's the same concepts. It's, a little bit out of the Warriors, a little bit out of the Spurs. It's all the same concepts. And I watched them play Denver the other night in what was an unbelievably great fourth quarter. One of the most entertaining things I've watched. Uh, people always ask me, like, what shows do you watch? I, I just watch the NBA. I watch it the day late or two days late or three days late. I just watch the NBA. Stop asking me about Breaking Bad and The Wire and all these shows over the last 13 years that I have not seen. Um, I know it's sad. So anyway, I'm watching the Kings game from the other night. Beautiful fourth quarter, great great entertainment, incredible game. And they are just pinging it around. I mean, they are breaking the paint. They are moving it. It is second side all the time. Like, it was beautiful. And yet, then I go back to the Washington game, 
and listen to Mike Brown's postgame comments on Locked on Kings, and he's talking about how they don't move the ball, they didn't, they stopped passing, they didn't get sprays, and they didn't get paint touches. It's kind of where we are, too. And what's super interesting about this is let's take a guy like Kevin Herter or Malik Beasley, and you send them on an off-screen pin down. So one of the things that I think the Kings have gotten way better at is they used to run all their actions in the middle of the floor for De'Aaron Fox. He's not the greatest decision maker ever, and it seemed to bog them down. And now they've kind of just decided, well, we don't need to run any actions for De'Aaron Fox. He's so fast, he's so quick, and he's so good that he can just get to wherever he wants to get to. In the meantime, when he breaks you down, you're going to have to suck in. Then he can move it, and then the thing starts. Or they now run a lot of Sabonis setting a pick on the wing and Herter coming off or Sabonis setting a pick on the wing and Monk coming off or even Lyle setting a pick on the wing and so, or Harrison Barnes and somebody coming off. And it, it, it's opening a lot of things up for them. And so it's impressive in that. Um, and, and they look good. But so let's say you set a pick for Kevin Herter or for Malik Beasley and they pop out to the wing and the pass, first pass of the possession comes to them and they're open. They're 40% three-point shooters. Do you want Malik Beasley or Kevin Herter of the Kings taking that shot? And how do you coach that? Because what's happening to the Jazz is that every time Malik Beasley pops out right now and is open, he's a 40% three-point shooter. He's not right now. He's in a slump. He takes that shot. And then the next possession, Lowry pops out because we execute it well, and Lowry's wide open, and Lowry takes that shot. Oh, but you're, so wait, you're okay if Lowry takes it, but you want Beasley to move it? Now, how are you coaching that? How are you telling your guys that you want, hey, Malik, if you pop out and it's the first pass of a possession, I want you to drive it and kick it. If it's the third pass of a possession, then and it comes back to you, then it's okay for you to shoot. But if it's Lowry, then it's okay if he shoots. I mean, there is a pecking order. Let's not kid ourselves about how this works. But are you going to really try to coach that? Because I, I don't think that's going to go over real well. And that's not kind of the freedom you're trying to get guys to play with. It's really tricky. And if you walk through our fourth quarter against the Spurs, what you run into is exactly this. What's fascinating about our fourth quarter against the Spurs is that we did not score a single field goal. Now, we only had four, so definitely a sample size was not great. We did, we did not score a single field goal in which the ball did not go to two sides of the floor. Other than Walker Kessler offensive rebound kick out to the opposite side of the floor off an offensive rebound to Malik Beasley for a pull-up jumper. I mean, to uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker for a pull-up jumper, which in a sense was a second side. In the fourth quarter the other night, we had one or fewer passes on 12 of our 27 possessions. And I like both these people a great deal because this, and I'm using them as as credible sources and complimentary. I get nervous anytime I talk about anybody on the show. As both Sarah Todd and Andy Larson's analysis of our offense in their post game pieces, which are great, and I read them every time, was that our shots were good. And yesterday, you could tell I didn't really buy that. Well, we had one or fewer passes on 12 of 27 possessions, and my comment yesterday was, I don't know how I, if I liked how we got to those shots. When Mike Conley was off the floor and Nikhil Alexander-Walker was on the floor to play in point guard for the first seven possessions of the quarter, on five of the seven, we had one pass. And here's what's interesting. So on the first pass, we throw it to Beasley, who then 
to the wing, and Beasley penetrates it to drive, but he actually shoots a floater instead. Our next possession is one pass, and Markkinen goes iso in the middle of the lane, beats this guy, hook shot, misses. We actually have a nice four-pass possession off an offensive rebound. We swing it around. Beasley misses a three. We have a one-pass possession where Alexander Walker comes around a pick-and-roll on the right side. He actually throws a skip pass over the top. Rudy Gay ends up hitting a pull-up jumper. It's not a beautiful possession. It's a one-pass possession, but we did actually use both sides of the floor. Alexander Walker drives on a no-pass possession and gets fouled. Fine. Malik Beasley pops out right side, wide open three, or good look open three. Like, this is one where in a vacuum, you say that's a good look. He popped out. He was open. Alexander Walker hits him with a pass. He fires, misses. Catch and shoot three for Malik Beasley. Hard to say no, but we've suddenly now only had one of our six possessions to start the fourth quarter have a sing- have more than one pass in it. Then we have a two-pass possession where we actually use two sides. We get it, and it kicks out to Rudy Gay, who misses... Walker Kessler wide open under the basket instead takes a three and since he's making 12% of those I don't think it's a very good shot and then Mike Conley comes in and we get better two pass possession KO drives on Ty Jerome don't worry I'm not going to take you through all of them but it's interesting some of them were forces one pass possession Nikhil Alexander Walker kicks it back to Mike Conley eh it takes a three like it's Mike Conley generally makes it but we're like trying to get some ball movement Four-pass possession where we actually moved it, did a bunch of stuff, two sides of the floor, and didn't score. Then we do score on two others. Clarkson drives, hits Vando on a layup. Lowry comes off something, finds someone. Four-pass possession. We start to move it a little bit more as the quarter goes on. So we had one or fewer passes on 12 or 27 possessions, but only seven of the 20, which Mike Conley's on the floor. We have four field goals came on one one pass, a skip pass, an offensive run kick out, and two three-pass possessions. So we did not, we scored on of the 12 of 27 possessions where we had one pass in the fourth quarter. We scored on one of those 12. On possessions when the ball stayed on the side of the floor or started in the middle and went to one side and never changed sides, we had 15 of those possessions we did not score. In the fourth quarter against this person. Zero of 15 when the ball stayed on one side of the floor. We used the we used the both sides of the floor in eight of our 23 possessions. And three of our field goals and the other came on the offensive kick out, offensive ribbon kick out, came on those eight possessions. So it's super interesting for Mike Brown and for Will Hardy and for probably every coach in this league on how do you coach this? How do you coach this? Because when on the second play of the quarter, when Lowry Markin comes off a pin down, is open on the left side of three, and we're all haranguing for more and more Lowry shots, don't you have to tell him to take it? But then are you really telling Malik Beasley you're not? And how do you coach this? I I got to tell you, I find this fascinating. We've got to move the ball more. You've got to use both sides of the floor. You've got to believe your teammates are going to bring it back to you. You've got to play collectively. It's hard for me, though, to sit here and tell you that I think Malik Beasley popping out on the right side is a selfish shot. Sure, 
Malik Beasley, he believes in himself. He's a 40% three-point shooter. That's why he's getting paid. That's what he does. He gets that look, and I'm going to tell him to bypass that because it's too early in the clock. And then all the analytics and metrics tell me that if I walk it down too far in the clock, my production goes way down. There's a whole concept of good to great, but Quinn Snyder also had an interesting theory about good enough. Like, we go good to great, too often we don't get great. I find this really, really interesting. I'm going to talk to Will and the coaches about it, maybe on the record, maybe off the record. I'll try to continue to talk about it. I think it's fascinating. And I think it's probably the primary struggle that coaches Mike Brown have... uh, Anyone. All right, I'll set the table a little bit more for tonight, and then we'll get to ask LOJ. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and Linden. We set up a bunch of people this week to go visit Cameron and Jake. Cameron over at the Murdoch Hyundai location in Murray, and Jake down in Linden. We've got those VIP setups for you, so if you're going to go look at a car, make sure you email me first. I'll get you the VIP meeting set you up, see how it goes, make sure you get that exclusive experience. Why Hyundai? Because you get the most bang for your buck. They won North American Car of the Year with the Elantra. They won Motor Trend Car of the Year with the Ionic. You get the most bang for your buck. You get a fabulous car. Why Murdoch's 80 years plus in Utah, making sure you have the no regrets experience. So go check it out. Murdoch Hyundai and Logan in Linden as well as in Murray. Email me first. Please tell me the location that you want to attend. That'll speed up our process. If you're going to head down and uh, look at a car this weekend, make sure you do it with Murdoch Hyundai at 4646 South State Street. Email me first, though, and I'll set you up for that. Today's show is also brought to you by Drive Sober. You're hanging out with some friends, putting a few back, a few uh, becomes too many, and as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out. They're calling for a ride. And you, yeah, I don't, I, I can get myself home. We'll be okay. It's no big deal. No, no, it's a big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over? Even so, what's worse could happen? Insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you totally call, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, they still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on the roads. To save lives. So, if you think it's okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead. Get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Thank you very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Locked On Sports Today with Peter Bukowski is your spot for a 22-minute rundown of everything that's going on in sports. So, if you're a dad, have a job, have a cat have any responsibilities in life, have anything that might distract you away from the sports world, uh, then uh, that is the show uh, for you. All right, let's get to our Ask LOJ portion of the program. Oh, by the way, tonight's super interesting on a few notes. Um, when you're watching, the Jazz and the Kings are the number one and number two teams league at denying three-point shots. One of the things that's been kind of, I've just kind of taken for granted this year with the Jazz is that one of the reasons why we're not a very good defensive rebounding team is, one, our personnel, and two, because we're working so hard to deny threes that we're just not, we're always spread out a little bit. The Kings, on the other hand, are the number two team in league at denying threes and the number one team in league in defensive rebounding. Now, they have Demata Sabonis, who's a big-time rebounder at 12 a game, so they have one of those big rebounding types. But that's an interesting thing to kind of look into about how they're able to do it. 
So it's worth watching tonight. We're a pretty good offensive rebounding team. We usually need that for our offense. They're a great defensive rebounding team. And then the second thing <clears throat> is obviously we're not a great defensive rebounding team. They're not an offensive rebounding team. It's 25th versus 25th. But they are a great defensive rebounding. So the boards will be interesting tonight. Transition will also be interesting. They're the number one transition team in the NBA. Our transition defense has improved tremendously over the last little period of time, and we're going to have to really test it. So that'll be interesting um, in tonight's game. All right, let's get to our Ask LOJ questions. What is the ceiling of this team? I think this is actually kind of the most important and a great question um, to ask here right away. And I think a little bit, if we're honest about it, the last two games are pretty stark check on that ceiling. Um, losing the Spurs in San Antonio, losing the Warriors without Steph, Clay, and Andrew Wiggins, if we're being frank, I think is a pretty quick, stark reminder of like, okay, like this has been awesome. These guys play hard. Team 49 is a joy. I'm watching it every night. I love what I'm seeing. It's an imperfect build. <clears throat> that is not ready, nor was it built to be ready for prime time. Like, I think that's, but it's a lot of terrific aspects, right? Like, Lowry's having this unbelievable year. Vando's energy is terrific. Malik Beasley's shooting is ridiculously good. Um, we've seen Mike just have such great control. Alexander Walker's developing nicely into a secondary guard. <clears throat> we, You know, I, I think I just also documented some of the developing frailties there. Um Kelly Olynyk just does everything he maximum possibly can with skill set to help you win. It's great. Like, this team is maximizing what they are. But the ceiling is limited because it was not built to be – it was not built to be a top-four team in the conference. And so I do think that that – I've said this a lot. I still think we're in a 36- to 48-minute window. Somebody didn't hashtag ask LOJ in their questions – to me today, but I and I don't know if I can find it again. Um, so if you're going to send me a question, please hashtag ask LOJ. Um, and the, the question was kind of if you, you know, if we're on a 12 to 18 month window. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know where the 12 to 18th um, month window is. Like, I, I think we're in a... Um, Here's it was uh no let's see. Um that's interesting. I don't know why this one didn't show up on my um tag board. Um but anyway, I, I think the window is longer uh on that. Let me see if I can find there's another good question in here that um that didn't show for some reason, so I'll have to see if I can go find that. Um because it was a good question and sometimes tag board which is the search engine that grabs my Ask LOJ, does not always get everything it's supposed to get. Um, well, I'll just address the question. You won't see it. Um, it's the never-ending Rudy Gay question. Um, and again, I don't know why um, it didn't come up, so I, I apologize to uh, Kevin, I think it was, who asked this question, um, and he's not going to get his face to Kevin Con- or Keith Conley. Um Oh, because he put in Ask L-O-G instead of Ask L-O-J. So I don't actually apologize to Keith at all. That's just, come on, Keith. Uh, whoever has a typo on a tweet, 
Oh, me every time. Uh, if the Jazz have a 24 to 36 minute month championship plan, I think it's 36 to 48 to be like competing, not to win a championship. Why play Rudy Gay at all? He won't be in the NBA in two years. His trade value and his contract match in a deal, not his stats. He is taking minutes from a player who can be developed or showcased for a trade. So, a few things. Rudy Gay's plus minus is unbelievable. Like, if you want to, like, just make sure we're, you know, if you ever use that, like, you have to be aware of it at all times. Two, I do agree that Rudy Gay's trade value is the fact he has a $5 million contract, and at some point in time, if the Jazz are going to make a trade, they may need that $5 million of Rudy Gay, and so that's why you're not cutting Rudy Gay or something of that sort. Three, Rudy's actually been really great leadership-wise. You've heard Will Hardy talk about him a lot of times um, in regards to that. Um, and has, and have been, and it's been really good with the young players. And the best way to do that is to keep them engaged. And three, I don't know who the young player is that he is going to play the four spot that we have on this roster that's going to develop. And then four, Will Hardy's been really clear. We're not just giving away minutes. Like you have to earn them. Uh, Simone might be like the one, but if you go look at some of our numbers with Simone, like the rebounding numbers. The overall numbers, they're they're a little rough. Like, I'm not sure Simone is a four. Like, he's a shooter. He does a lot of things really, really well. But I, I don't think he's a, a four in this league. I don't think that's a, a spot where you, you want to be using uh, Simone with regularity. All right, let's get to our next question. Um, with all of the injuries... With a lot of the injuries in the West... What's the West all-star roster looking like? So I don't really want to break down the 15 or 20, but you're right. With like Paul George missing games and Kawhi Leonard missing games and things of that nature, it does open up um, a lot of opportunity. Jaron Jackson's out. I don't think he's, you know, he would probably have been a borderline all-star. Um, so I do think it's opening up an opportunity, particularly for Lowry. Lowry is going to be right on the cusp. It is, there's only 12 guys. It's super hard. You know, you've got guys, Zion, Brandon Ingram's another one where injuries are out. Like, there's like five or six injury guys, but Steph's in, LeBron's in, Nikola Jokic is in. Like, you can start running down the list. Um, Devin Booker gets interesting, right? Like, it's really crazy how many marquee guys. It also is a great example of just how incredibly hard it is to make the All-Star game. Um, does Aaron Gordon, you know, the players that, if you're talking about Lowry that matter, does Aaron Gordon make it considering the fact that the Nuggets have the best record in the Western Conference? Um, does Sabonis, I think, makes it. Portland, Jeremy Grant's going to make a claim with Portland being at 18 and 16. Um, Anthony Edwards is kind of on the cusp, but they're only at 16 and 19. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. I do, I think Lowry's chances are good because of like, each and every one of these guys. And then I also think if if we do have an injury replacement, I would suspect that Lowry is the first one. What are your thoughts on JC? So popular in Utah, even though he's one of the most selfish players in the whole league. I'll pretend that you just were short a character and so you spelled it wrong. Um, who takes uh, Who takes in every game a lot of bad shots with his... Um, which makes winning very hard, and what he uses is energy over-dribbling all over, and he plays no D. Well, it's pretty clear, KJ, what your thoughts are on one 
Jordan Clarkson, I would probably have a little bit of a different opinion on who Jordan Clarkson is and what he is to that. And we'll check on that as we when we come back uh, as we continue here on Locked on Jazz as well as John Collins questions. And what would it mean for the Jazz if they were to get John Collins? Today's program is brought to you in part by our friends over at Rocket uh, Money. Rocket Money is the former app Truebill. And uh, I have Truebill. And really have liked it in ways that I didn't suspect. Like I got it for the same reason everybody else does, which is they talked about the idea that you're going to be able to manage your subscriptions. And I do have that feeling that, like, gosh, what have I subscribed to? I mean, the one, the killer one I have is I have a very expensive Bloomberg subscription that I don't use anymore nearly the way I used to. And now all of a sudden it re, you know, re-looped on me. And luckily, Truebill caught it for me. Rocket Mortgage is a personal financing app that... Uh, cancels your unwanted subscription, monitors your spending, helps you lower lower bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like streaming services you bought in to watch just one show or a free trial, all those kind of things, and those show up on your Rocket Money. will quickly, easily identify those subscriptions so you can stop paying them. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of the bun- bun- as a button. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel. Rocket Money will cancel it for you. It also is a really good, just kind of monitor your finances, keep an eye on it, uh, app that lets you know if major things are going on. I like it. Uh, cancel unwanted subscription. Manage your expenses with rocketmoney.com slash lockdownNBA. That's rocketmoney.com slash lockdownNBA. Rocketmoney.com slash lockdownNBA. The thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen. Game to game is the NBA recap show. Our Knicks hosts are not very happy right now. All right. In regards to your question about Jordan Clarkson, that was brutal. Like killing JC. Um, I I would have to say I don't see it the same way you do. Uh, first of all, he's averaging career high in assists. I think he's shown to be um, a very, very um, adaptable player. I do think recently he has reverted back to feeling the need to score more. I think that's his read on what the team needs. I'm not sure that he's wrong. Um, but we do need to skip it and move it a little bit more. We do not have very many isolation players. And the more we see switching defenses, which have increased as the year has gone on already, Jordan's one of the few players we have on this roster who can actually just beat somebody off the dribble. And so when that's the case, that really does leave very little other choices. Like, Mike can't beat anyone off the dribble. If you go back to the New Orleans Pelicans game, we're getting Jordan in the mismatch on Zion. We're doing it by bringing Mike off the pick and roll, then Mike's mismatched on him, and then Jordan and Mike have to interchange to get Jordan onto Zion, because Mike's at 35 years old is not a spot where he is able to beat Zion Williamson off the bounce. Uh, the Jazz have been rumored to be in trade talks with Atlanta acquired John Collins, if this trade were to happen, how formidable do you think the combo of Lowry Market and John Collins would be? So that's a great question because I think this is actually what you're doing when you make this trade. So how formidable? Not very. Like kind of? It's like like formidable? Like as though other teams cringe when they see Lowry Market and John Collins? Like they're not Nikola Jokic. I mean, that's like formidable to me is like Giannis, Jokic, Doncic, Embiid, Dame. Like, that's formidable. Really good? Really good. John Collins is an interesting player. He 
he's like actually I was watching the the Brooklyn Atlanta game yesterday uh, from a few days ago last night and like there's a play where John Collins gets it at the top of the circle puts it on the deck drives hard to the lane and finishes with the right hand it's really kind of awesome and then there's another play where John Collins gets it inside like right at the basket and he cannot get it up and over Nick Claxton. He just can't. Like, he's not going to make that shot. He's not athletic enough to do that. But he is athletic enough at 6'9 that he puts it on the deck. He beat his guy off the bounce, and he got to the rim. He's been a pretty good shooter at times in his career. At other times, the three-point shooting has lost him. I do think I get really nervous when you do this, when you start to believe, well, if you put him in our system, he'll be a lot better. I think that's a really good way to make mistakes. But Nate does not run the most modern system, and Trey Young, while he is a wonderful distributor, is not always the easiest guy to play with. And so I do think there's something to what John Collins has done. Now, he doesn't has not stayed particularly healthy, 41-63. 63 is a lot, by the way. That's a 66-game season. 54 games in the last few years. Um, he's a career 36% three-point shooter who's shooting 23% this year. Like, I don't buy the 23%. I buy the 36%. He takes about three or f- a game, so he's not high volume. He he has a lot of skills. He's he's not elite athletically. Um, so if you move him, passing him, playing off ball, coming off screens, playing a little bit like we do, does that help him in a different manner? The Playing in Atlanta is on ball screens for Trey Young, for DeJounte Murray now, and not a lot of off-ball action. And so I do think if we were to get him, he could be a valuable piece. I think he's got positional size. I can't imagine. At this point, I can't really see anyone um, acquiring us acquiring players that are not off-ball or positionally sized guys. And he's... He's positionally sized correctly. Um, by the way, Atlanta's 11th in the league in off-ball screen, so I don't want to make it sound like they run none. Um, but they might run more of them for DeJounte Murray than for John Collins. Collins is kind of a lost puppy in in Nate's system right now. Things have gone sour there for him. He's been in every trade room or imaginable. So I think John Collins would be a nice addition. I think he might be better in our systems. Formidable is just the word that I'm caught on with your comments because I'm not entirely sure what you mean by formidable. Um, so that's that's why I ask it. Um, this is the kind of age-old question about um, if all the super, all-star, super all-star players bouncing around different teams, some Hall of Famers, but how long do the names live on because of the current trend, unlike Dirk, Dame, Carl, John, are remembered more for what they did for their team? I mean, I think what happened with with Dirk and his legacy and the statue the other day is super special, and Dame's going to maybe have that same thing in Portland, and I don't think it diminishes how special that is, but I I also don't think that players like LeBron, who are going from one team to another, are going to have their career be diminished in any way, if that makes sense. Um, So I, I think that you can have this really, really special environment and opportunity that Dirk and Dame and some guys seem to be on the road to. But I don't think you're hurting your career and your legacy if you play in multiple spots. Jokic might be doing this, frankly. All right, final question. If Danny Ainge doesn't want to be a middling team, then what are we doing? You said all summer the most valuable asset was the Jazz' own pick, and this is the year to make it a good one. I think the answer to this is a great question. 
Um, this is probably the number one question on most Jazz fans' minds. And I do think, like, the last two games were like, oh, like, hmm. Um, I, I think, first of all, if you look at Danny Ainge's track record, which the beauty of Danny is there's a long track record, he just has never made a trade just for the sake of, like, dumping a player. You just don't do it. So there has not been a time here where we're just dumping guys um, and where the Jazz have just or where Danny's just dumped players. So I think if the trade opportunities come that are helpful to this team in a 36 to 48 month window, we're still going to see those trades this year. I think the seal, I think we are stuck in the middle right now. Very impressively. Hey, you know, we've played great basketball this year to get in the middle. Like it's, it's been impressive. It's been really fun. And I, I do think if we end up in a play in game, it's not the worst thing ever. It'd be great to be a top six playoff team. Um, so I wouldn't just bail on the season cause you're in the middle um, but I do think if a good opportunity comes that is helpful to the franchise long term, I don't think we're married to success this season as the only driving force of decision making. And so I do think there's a possibility that if a team comes with a what is it the right deal for any of the about six players that we would probably be willing to make that deal. And then I do also think like I I, I don't think we're about to do this, but if we wanted to. Um, I think we could fall pretty quickly. Um, one or two adjustments, and I think we fall pretty quickly. Like I think the I think the the beauty of this team is that they've played this well with this slim a margin of error. It's been really awesomely impressive that with this slim a margin of error, they've been able to do what they're doing. Very impressed by it. Have a safe and happy new year. We'll talk to you with postcast afterwards. Thanks for being a part of Locked On Jazz in twenty. Wow. This is our last Locked on Jazz of 2022. I don't want to get, like, sentimental or anything like that, but thanks. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon.